Uh, it's really good to be with you here this morning. I want to start out by giving you a Project 6K update. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we have made us a, a challenge here at Netherwood Park in 2016 as a congregation to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible. We are nearing the end of May, and so far we have read, read 3,956 books of the Bible. So sometime next week, we'll pass the 4K mark. Um, only five months in, so we're doing great. Keep up the good work. Um, I hear lots of good reports from lots of different people about how meaningful this has been for them to be immersed in the Word like they've never been immersed before. So lives are being transformed because of what is going on as we dig into God's Word. So keep up the good work, and we'll continue to celebrate as we reach these milestones as we move ahead. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we have approach you with humility. And Father, who are we, mere mortal men and women and children, that you, the God of the universe, the God of creation, would choose to reveal yourself to us? Father, who are we that you would choose to demonstrate your love for us by sending your Son, the Word, to this earth? to die for us so that we might look forward to eternity with you. So, Father, I pray that you will give us a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know you. A hunger and a thirst and a longing to know your Son. And a hunger and a thirst and a longing for your word, for you have revealed yourself to us. And, Father, we know that it's a miracle that we have your word in our hands so that we can come to know you. And Father, quench our thirst, sate our hunger. And Father, this is what we pray through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, last week we introduced a new sermon series on spiritual discipline. And we're going to talk about spiritual discipline over the next several weeks because together we have committed ourselves as a church, as a body, to being an equipped body. We as a church are determined to be a grown-up, a built-up, a trained-up, a strong and healthy body. A healthy body that has grown-up, built-up, trained-up, strong and healthy parts of that body. And we're going to talk about being disciplined spiritually because we know that becoming that kind of body, becoming a body that's capable of doing the unimaginable things that our Father has prepared in advance for us to do. We're going to talk about being spiritually disciplined because we know that becoming that kind of body doesn't just happen. Just like physical bodies, spiritual bodies don't become fit and healthy without disciplined Discipline, becoming spiritually fit and healthy, requires the consistent personal investment of time and effort. It doesn't just happen. Becoming a body that looks like and sounds like and acts like Jesus Christ doesn't just happen. Becoming what we are called to be, transformed into the likeness of Christ. Becoming what we hunger and thirst to be, transformed into the image of Christ. That doesn't just happen. 
becoming a body that's identified by its godliness doesn't just happen. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about various spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about different spiritual practices. We're going to talk about specific biblical habits that can put us in a place where transformation can take place and where transformation will take place. See, we know that we don't transform ourselves into the image of Christ. Transformation is the work of God. But we know that we must prepare ourselves to be transformed. We must put ourselves in a place where transformation can take place and where it will take place. Paul expressed the necessity of working to prepare ourselves for God's transforming work this way in his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul wrote, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So one way to think about spiritual disciplines is as the work we do to prepare us for the work that God will do, that he will do on us and through us and in us. And the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, are ways that we invest the time and effort that are needed to prepare us for the transforming work of God that he will do in us. Spiritual disciplines are what we do to open ourselves up to the work of God in and through and on us. And I hope that we'll all agree that that sounds really good. Preparing ourselves for God's transforming work on us sounds really good. I hope we'll all agree that that sounds really important. It's really important to open ourselves up to God's transforming work in us. So I have to ask this question. If we can all agree that being prepared and open to God's work is good... And if we can all agree that it's important, I have to ask, why aren't we more disciplined spiritually? I have to ask, why don't we engage in spiritual disciplines more consistently? Well, to help us understand why maybe we aren't more disciplined spiritually, it might help to ask why we aren't more disciplined physically. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. So I want everybody to participate in this. How many people here, show your hands, agree with this statement? Regular exercise is important for health and fitness. How many people agree with that? Okay. Someone taking names. I want to have these down for later on. Um, By the way, my aunt gave me the names of everybody who met her. So the bonus points will be coming in the mail soon. So essentially, everybody here agrees Right? Everybody agrees that consistent and regular exercise is important. It's important for health and fitness. In fact, surveys show that essentially every adult in America agrees with that statement. So what percentage of adults in America do you think exercise regularly? And we'll define regularly by at least three times a week for at least 20 minutes when they exercise. How many? Five to ten percent, you're more pessimistic than you should be. It's all the way up to fifteen percent. 
15% of the people report that they exercise on a regular basis. So obviously, just knowing that something is important, just knowing that something is good for you, just knowing that something is good and important isn't enough to make us actually do those things that we know are good and that we know are important. See, just because the doctor said so, just because the surgeon general said so, just because your wife said so, just because your husband said so, just because the preacher said so, doesn't seem to lead us to consistently disciplined behavior. Doesn't seem to lead us to disciplined practices, physical or spiritual. See, the beginning point of lasting discipline isn't being told that you need to do something. No, instead, lasting discipline find its beginning in, finds its beginning in desire. See, those who hunger and thirst for knowledge, those become your disciplined students. Those who hunger and thirst for victory, those become your disciplined athletes. And those who hunger and thirst for God, they become spiritually disciplined. I want you to listen to what true hunger, what true thirst, what true longing for God sounds like. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. And because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And my soul clings to you. And your right hand upholds me. See, spiritual discipline begins with that kind of desire. Spiritual discipline begins with that kind of hunger and thirst and longing to know God. And it begins with a hunger and a thirst and a longing to please God. And spiritual discipline begins in a desire to go deeper, not in a desire to go faster. Lasting spiritual discipline doesn't begin with a desire to add more activity to our lives. Our lives already have enough activity. Instead, it begins with a desire to add more depth to all of our often too shallow spiritual lives. So I think it's good for us to pause here for a moment, to slow down for a moment, to take a moment to go deeper instead of faster. I want us together to take a moment to chew on three questions. So I want you to ask yourself these three questions. Number one, do I have a hunger? Do I have a thirst 
Do I have a longing to know God? Do I have a hunger, a thirst, a longing to know God? Second question I want you to ask yourself. Do I have a hunger? Do I have a thirst? Do I have a longing to please God? Do I have a hunger, a thirst, a longing to please God? And the third question I want you to ask yourself is this. Do I have a desire? Do I have a hunger? Do I have a thirst? Do I have a longing to go deeper spiritually? Do I have a hunger, a thirst, a longing to go deeper spiritually? And if your answer to those questions is yes, if you're truthfully answering to yourself, yes, I have that hunger, I have that thirst, I have that longing. If your answer is yes, I have good news for you. And the good news is that there is food for your hunger near at hand. The good news is there is drink for your thirst and it's close by. The good news is your longing can be satisfied. See, our God isn't a distant God who can't be known. No, our God has drawn near. He's revealed himself to mankind. He's done that because he wants to be known. And the good news is our God isn't a temperamental God who is impossible to please. No, our God is a just and loving God who is pleased, is pleased when we obediently return his love. See, knowing God and pleasing God, those aren't things that are out of our reach. I love what Moses said to the Israelites. We read it just a little while ago. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11. Listen again to those words. Moses said, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Then he says, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. See, satisfying our hunger, satisfying our thirst isn't out of reach because God reveals himself. God makes himself known in his word. And satisfying that hunger and satisfying that thirst isn't out of reach because God revealed himself. God made himself known. And he did it in the person of Jesus Christ through God in the flesh. I love the Gospel of John, and throughout the Gospel of John, he reminds us of just how remarkable it is that God, out of his great love for us, chose to make himself known. Chose to make himself known by sending God the Son to the earth to live in human form. John said this at the very beginning of his Gospel. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. And then a little later on in verse 18, still speaking about Jesus Christ, John says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. See, satisfying our hunger and our thirst for God isn't out of reach. It isn't out of reach because God has revealed himself through his word and because he has revealed himself through the word, through Jesus Christ. And it isn't out of reach because God has given us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit who continues to teach us and continues to guide us. His Spirit who takes us deeper than would ever be possible for us to go on our own. So since God reveals himself through his word, and since God reveals himself through Jesus Christ, the word, it probably seems obvious at this point that studying God's word, that knowing God's word, that immersing ourselves in scripture is foundational. It's foundational to spiritual discipline. Studying God's word is where we begin to quench our thirst. It's where we begin to feed our hunger. It's where we satisfy our longing to know God and to please God and to go deeper instead of faster. See, consistently devoting time and effort to studying God's word is a foundational spiritual discipline. It's the spiritual discipline that all other disciplines are built on. It's the spiritual discipline that all others depend on. Moses recognized and emphasized the necessity of knowing God's word. He repeated the message over and over to the Israelite people, you must know God's word. See, Moses knew that if Israel was going to be a people, if they were going to be God's people, they had to know God and they had to know his word. Moses gave these instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18. He said, fix these words of mine on your hearts and your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He said, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, Moses understood the importance of knowing God and knowing his word. So why should we consistently devote time and effort to the studying of God's word? Well, it seems obvious, doesn't it? So it will become fixed. So it will become embedded. So it will become a permanent part of our hearts. A permanent part of our minds. Sometimes that kind of language is a little bit scary, isn't it? it? Sounds kind of like a drudgery in a way, doesn't it? But we shouldn't let that kind of language, the language of fixing and embedding God's word, lead us to believe that the study of God's word is something that's dry, something that's just rote, something that's burdensome work. Now, studying the word of God should be anything but that. We're reminded that the study of God's word is joyful. It's a delight. 
the very beginning of the psalm, Psalm 1-1, we read this about God's word. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And so he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And then this in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. And so I will not neglect your word. God's word is joyous. God's word is delightful. God's word is wonderful. And when God's word occupies our thoughts, then it begins to direct our paths. And God plants us beside his waters and he nourishes us and he refreshes us. See, God's word isn't just this collection of old and dusty stories of years gone by. God's word is new every morning. His word is alive. His word is active. It still acts powerfully. And when we fix God's words in our heart and in our minds, it acts powerfully on us. It acts powerfully on our hearts. It acts powerfully on our minds. You're all familiar, I'm sure, with the Hebrew verse that says this, Hebrews 4, verse 12. The Hebrew writer said, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is living and active. And because it's living and active... God's word, when it's in our hearts and when it's in our minds, it transforms us. It transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And it conforms us. It conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's living. It's active. It's powerful. I'm going to move quickly to, through just a sampling of how God's word transforms us and conforms us from Scripture. In Romans, we learn that God's word transforms us by renewing our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Philippians, we learn that God's word transforms and conforms us by feeding our thoughts. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Well, where do noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy thoughts originate? Where do transforming thoughts originate? They originate in God's word. And the truth of God's word transforms us. It transforms us by setting us free of the slavery of sin that we've been held under. It transforms us by giving us freedom in Christ Jesus. Jesus spoke these words of truth recorded by John in uh, chapter 8, verse 32 of his gospel. Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God's word transforms us. And it transforms us by working powerfully on us. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16 He said, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've got a confession to make. My confession is I think I've been misinterpreting this scripture for all of my life. Here's the paraphrase of how I used to read this verse. Something along these lines. Hey, Timothy, don't forget that all of scripture comes from God and make sure you know it so that you can use it. So that you can use it to teach others and rebuke others and correct others and train the people in your church so they will be equipped to do God's work. I've had a very outward focus interpretation of this scripture. An outward focus that said you should know God's word so you can use it so you can fix other people. But now I'm convinced that this scripture is very much inward focused. Again, paraphrasing. This is how I think I really should be reading this verse. Hey, Timothy, don't forget that all of scripture comes from God. So you should use it to teach yourself, to rebuke yourself, to correct yourself, to train yourself, so you will be equipped to do God's good work. See, we study God's word not so that we can go and fix others, but so God's word can fix us. We study God's word not so we can try to transform others, because that's not our work, that's God's work. We study God's word so he can transform us. We study God's word because it's living and it's active. We study his word because it renews our minds. We study his word because it feeds our thoughts. We study his word because it sets us free. We study his word because it transforms us by teaching us, by rebuking us, by correcting us, by training us, and by equipping us for every good work God has prepared in advance for us to do. So I know that I've just spent a lot of time in many ways preaching to the choir. I I know I've been selling the importance of hungering and thirsting after God's word to people who do hunger and thirst after God. I know that I've been up here selling the transforming power of God's word to people who believe in the transforming power of God's word. 
But I also know that I'm speaking to many people here, including myself, many people here who have often struggled with the discipline of Bible study. So I don't want to just sell you on the importance and the power of Bible study. I also want to give you a few practical suggestions of how you can turn those good intentions that you have into disciplined study. So quickly, as we end our time, I'm going to give you some tried and true ways to bring discipline to your Bible study. So the first thing that I really want to encourage everybody to do is pick a time and pick a place that works for Bible study. Pick a time in your day when you're actually alert, when your mind is active. Pick a time and place where you'll be free from distractions, free from interruptions, where your cell phone is either not present or it's turned off. And then schedule that time and schedule that place. Schedule it as an unbreakable appointment. After all, it's an appointment with God's word. Second suggestion is to be in every study, every time you sit down with God's word, begin that study in humility. Don't just begin it in humility, but express your humility to God in prayer. Every time. Your prayer might sound something like this. God, I am approaching your word so that I can be taught, so that I can be transformed. Transformed from what I am into what you would want me to be, what you would have me to be. So God, speak to me through your word and help me listen in humility. So begin every time in study, in humility and prayer. Third thing that I'm going to suggest is actually read the word. Read a manageable amount in the Bible. Read your passage for the day. But don't just read. Read it with a question in mind. With this question in mind. Looking for the answer to this question. As I'm reading, what is God saying to me through his word today? What is God saying to me through his word today? Next suggestion, the next step is after you have read, stop, slow down, prepare to go deeper, meditate on God's word, chew on God's word, reflect on what you have read, reflect on the answer to the question you've been asking. What is God saying to me? This is the time to really connect with what you've read. This is a time to connect what you have read to what God would like to see in your life and in the life of your church. And to help you do that, it's a time to ask another question. Simply ask yourself this question. What does this mean? What does what I have read, what does God's word mean for my life? And what does it mean for the life of my church? And after you have meditated, after you have chewed on, after you have reflected, after you have answered that question, it's time for a response. See, true Bible study through immersion in God's word always leads to a response. 
should always lead to a response in prayer and should oftentimes lead to a response in action. You should be asking yourself, what response is demanded of me by God's word? Sometimes that response will be simply gratitude and thanksgiving in prayer. Sometimes that response will be joy and praise. But other times, when God's word has rebuked us, when God's word has corrected us, our response must be confession. Our response must be repentance. And sometimes when God's word has rebuked or corrected us, our response must be action. It must be to set down our Bible and go to our brother or go to our sister and ask them for forgiveness. Or it may be to set down our Bible and go give our brother or give our sister forgiveness. But our Bible study should always end in response. And sometimes that responsive action is going to be the transforming power of God's word working in us to show us that we have been on the wrong path. And so our response must be to set our hearts and set our minds and set our feet on new paths. Not those old paths, but the new paths that God has shown us through his word. It's living, it's active, and it has transforming power. And then the final thing I want to strongly encourage you to do as you're doing your Bible study and as you are praying your prayers is to use a journal. Use a place to record what you are thinking and what you are reading and what God has revealed to you. Use a journal as a part of your discipline. And use it at every step of the way. Record what you've read. Record your responses to the questions that you've been asking. Record what God is saying. Record what this means for you and your life and what it means for the life of your church. And record how you respond. And record what actions you must take and what actions you're going to take. And then record when you have taken those actions. And record how you are being transformed. What you see in your life, how you're being transformed by the power of God's word. So that you'll be continually reminded to give him all glory. Give him all honor. Give him all praise. I want to end with just a word of encouragement. I know that Bible study can seem like a daunting task oftentimes. But I want to tell you, we can do this. I want to tell you, you can do this. Each and every one of us can become a disciplined student of God's word. I know it. And the reason I know it is because we're already doing this. I can't tell you how many people have told me how much they struggled in the past to read God's word, to study God's word on a regular basis. And now, this year, with our Project 6K challenge, are deeply immersed in God's word. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. I also want you to know the number of people that have told me how their lives have been changed because they are finally immersed in God's word. It's active. It's 
powerful. It's living. And lives are being transformed in this congregation because people have simply immersed themselves in God's word. People are being equipped, and so is this body. So why is it working? Why is this working, the Project 6K working in Netherwood Park? Well, I think that we can kind of use this as a template as we continue to look at spiritual disciplines. Because we have seen in us, we have seen in our body where good intentions can become reality. And the beginning point was a hunger and a thirst and a longing for God's word. I didn't create that hunger and that thirst and that longing. The leadership didn't create that hunger and thirst and longing when we decided to do this Project 6K challenge. We recognize the hunger. We recognize the thirst. We recognize the longing. It existed. Well, it also worked because it was a shared desire. It was a shared commitment. It's something that we did together. Bible study is an inward discipline. It's a private discipline. But boy, it becomes a lot easier when we know that other people are sharing that discipline, when other people have taken on that challenge, when other people are immersing themselves in God's word. It also worked because we had disciplined plans. We had daily Bible reading plans, some plans that took us through the entire Bible in 90 days, some in six months, some in a year. Some that took us through the New Testament in a set period of time. But we had a plan, a discipline plan. And it also worked because we had a goal. We had individual goals, but we also had a group and collective goal. And it's working because we're recording the results and we're updating each other about the results. So we know that we're making progress. We know that we're immersed in God's word. And with that comes accountability. You get your email, you go on to the website, you're talking about it in your small groups. There's accountability. We know that we're not doing this alone and others are holding us accountable. We're seeing the results, we're observing the results, and we're sharing the results. And that's why this body is being equipped by the power of God's word. And that's why we should be praising God for what he is doing through his word, which is living and active and powerful and is transforming our lives and transforming our church. So what I want to do is I want us to end in celebration. I want us to end in praise today. Celebration and praise for what God has done, for what God is doing, and for what God will do in the future through the power of his word. So let's stand and let's praise and let's celebrate together.